Hey there! If you like true crime stories and you love being in the great outdoors, you have come to the right place. I'm Tara, your host. Welcome to Crime Off the Grid. Hey, welcome to the Ranger Tales edition of Crime Off the Grid podcast, where we have real stories from real rangers and other first responders in wild and off the grid places. Today, we're going to be chatting with an esteemed colleague who's worked as a law enforcement ranger and chief ranger in some of the most iconic national parks. And it's my pleasure to have my good friend, Matt Vanzura, here with us today. Hey, Matt. Hey, Tara. Good to be here with you. (laughs) Hey, thanks for coming on. Uh, Well, can you just uh, briefly tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I worked for the National Park Service uh, for 30 years, uh, the bulk of it in two national parks. I uh, worked some seasonal time uh, in Yellowstone, which eventually led me back to uh, spend 10 years in Yellowstone, working in a variety of positions in the starting in 2001 uh, and then leaving in 2011 on the um, opposite ends of those on my career. Uh, I spent some time at Grand Canyon in the uh, middle to late nineties. I was working as a wilderness ranger at Grand Canyon. And then at the end of my career, I went back to Grand Canyon in 2015 uh, to work as the chief ranger and then retired in 2021. All right. Well, that's quite the career. So uh, being that this is Ranger Tales, what tale do you have for us today, Matt? So the the story I'd like to share is one of uh, the first missions for Yellowstone Special Response Team. Uh, given that Yellowstone National Park was uh, so far from anywhere, we knew that any help we could need with law enforcement incidents uh, was going to be uh, definitely offered and given, but going to take a while to get there. So we had a a group of rangers that were uh, trained essentially as a part-time SWAT team with a heavy emphasis on backcountry tracking um, and and working off the grid. And so one, yeah, so one call we got was uh, a common thing in the law enforcement world is for there to be BOLOs, be on the lookout uh, memos that get sent out through various police dispatches. And we uh, got a call late one afternoon uh, to tell us that the subject of a bolo had recently gotten uh, a backcountry permit to go for a multi-day overnight trip in Yellowstone. And normally, you know, that kind of thing, an arrest warrant for an individual, uh, was not a drop everything kind of situation. You know, you, it's as the name is name described, you are going right. to be on the lookout for this person. The interesting thing or the, the very scary thing about this particular bolo was that the subject, an adult male, did not, was supposed to turn himself in to the authorities to start serving a 20 plus year sentence for child molestation. Oh, wow. Yeah, so creepy. But again, nothing there yet, except that the backcountry permit office that 
issued him his permit on one day and then received the bolo the next day, very alert work by them to put those two things together, they reported that this individual got his backcountry permit for two people, one of whom was his juvenile son. We, being naturally suspicious and concerned for people's safety, drew the conclusion that this guy was going on and the words he used with his son's mother was one last backpacking trip with my son. Which could mean a couple of different things. Which, yes. And (laughs) so we were very concerned for the son's safety. Uh, There was an active arrest warrant out for the guy. And the, what made it easy to track both literally and figuratively is that the gentleman had signed up for a backcountry permit using livestock. And in Yellowstone, 98.5% of the time, that means horses and mules. Right. But there is the allowance for pack llamas to be used Hmm. in the park. And this guy had rented two llamas and transported them to Yellowstone and was doing a llama-supported backpacking trip. Well, I didn't know you could really just rent llamas on your own. Yeah. I, it, 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 <laughs> That's I, a thing. We did not either. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. so he had rented them uh, from, forgive me if I get the real name of the religion wrong, but a Hare Krishna temple in sort of north of Salt Lake City, Utah. And I never really figured out or learned how he got the llamas to Yellowstone. But so this guy and his son are off on this backcountry trip. He has told his wife or his ex-wife that this is the you know one last trip. Uh, he has been expected to turn himself in to serve a lengthy prison sentence. Uh, we very much fear that he has no intentions of coming back. So he, if you can remember, he had already been convicted or yes. pled. Yeah, he had okay. been, he was- uh, uh, I, I guess I can't remember truly whether it was a plea deal or whether he was convicted. It seems odd that had he been convicted that they didn't take him into custody immediately. Well, I was going to say, yeah. Had he already had his sentencing uh, or was he due to go to the sentencing Nope. Our understanding was that he was supposed to show up at the front gate of a prison and didn't. And Oh, and didn't. So he did miss that deadline. Yeah. yeah that's why that's they a, issued the warrant for arrest because I yeah. think they, you know, the authorities had figured out that, well, he was supposed to show up, start serving his time, and he didn't. They have to assume he's running. So they put out this bolo. Backcountry office notices it. They call uh, SRT to go into the backcountry and apprehend this guy. And so one thing, you know, leads to another and we end up uh, gathering up at the south entrance of Yellowstone, the Snake River Ranger Station, uh, to hike in. And, you know, we were young and enthusiastic. So we all are wearing camo and have tack vests and rifles and night vision goggles because the sun's going down and, uh, you know, heavy on water and food. And of course, uh, bear spray because you know right. we're going into the backcountry Yellowstone and it's very much looking like we're going in after dark. Uh, by the time you know permission to act is granted and we get all the right players together, 
so six of us are gathered up and sun goes down a couple hours go by the last uh member of the team arrives and we're all dressed and we have the first thing we have to do is ford the snake river like a hundred yards from right. the back steps of the ranger station uh the snake river at that point is fairly shallow usually knee mid thigh deep at the most uh it's a warm summer night uh and i have this vivid picture in my mind and somewhere we have the picture of all of us standing around in all of our SWAT gear from the waist up and just boxers and flip-flops from the waist down. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were hiking down the hundred yards in flip-flops, wading across the river, getting dressed and moving out. And so the, the hike in to where the campsite they were supposed to be at was only four and a half miles. Uh, we hike in passing a couple of campsites along the way uh not seeing anything that indicates you know not finding any llamas um we finally uh find the camp the llamas are are tied to trees uh and sleeping uh one tent set up nothing bad going on uh we were uh, also working on a time clock uh because the we our plan was to find them take them into custody and then have the park helicopter fly in and fly out uh, one of our rangers and the suspect and then the all the equipment and the helicopter had a, a busy day planned and they wanted to get this mission uh, done early. So we sort of had a ticking clock that we needed to, to get this wrapped mm -hmm. up by 7 mm -hmm. o'clock in the morning. So we, you know array ourselves around the tent and our plan is to just rely on human nature either the son or the father are going to get up and go to the bathroom at some point and our plan is to nab whichever one came out first and then if it was the son that means that he was safe and then we could take our time with the father um or if it was the father we could uh grab him and thus protect the son and then you know visit so hey, how old how old was the kid in this? The kid was youngish. I want to say 11 or 12 years old. Okay. So not you know not a baby but you know not even a you know not a teenager. You know right. not someone that you would think could take care of themselves in any you know that could protect themselves or take okay. care of themselves. So we're all arrayed. We're waiting waiting waiting. Nobody's waking up. Nobody's waking up. Um so we uh, decided that we, you know, needed to get the show on the road. Uh, so I radioed my teammates to just, you know, sort of move in close. Uh, and I just, you know, sort of threw off the persona of hardcore SWAT guy and put on the persona of friendly ranger out walking the trails, needing to check backcountry permits. And so I, you know, from 10, 15 yards out, I'm just like, hey, good morning. Backcountry ranger, just want to wakey wakey. Look. Yeah, wake it up. I just want to, you know, check your backcountry permit. Sorry to to bother you, but I got a long way to hike today, and you know, if it wouldn't be too much trouble. And um, of course, the what I'm trying to project is, you know, that quintessential, you know, 
uniformed ranger mm -hmm. with the badge and the flat hat on baby Jesus style. So that, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, Ed, when the guy unzips his tent and he's all blurry eyed and he sticks his head out and what he sees is a guy, you know, with a helmet and night vision goggles and rifle. Oh, and, right. And, you know, again, human nature, I reach out to shake the guy's hand, which most people will do and, uh, grabbed hold of him, pulled him out of the tent, you know, said, Hey, just be quiet. Make this easy on your kid. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> got him, you know, 10 yards away from his tent, laid him down, searched him. Boone, uh, my brother was uh, also on the team. He was next in talking to the kid in the tent, explaining to him that, Hey, there's this thing and we're going to take care of you. And the, uh, the kid was oddly unaffected. You know, oh, like we, yeah, our first impression was bad that 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 this child was a victim, like true right. molestation yeah. victim or abuse victim. In that right. his his reactions were not what we expected. We expected either angry, you can't do this, defense of a parent, or scared and quivering and he was just sort of right down the middle oh well dad's getting arrested so that was a little odd that is a uh, that is an odd reaction i mean you would think any kid that they find themselves completely alone in the middle of nowhere i mean it, obviously he had to walk a few miles and he was probably scared in the dark and all the noises you hear you know while you're sleeping in your tent in yellowstone <laughs> <laughs> and to think that now his yeah that would make me concerned too that his his dad's getting arrested and he did not seem to be concerned about it. Yeah. And uh, or maybe he was I, relieved. Yeah. There could be that relief there. Uh, you know, I never found out uh, whether the uh, son was the um, victim in any of these molestation charges that uh, the guy pled to or was convicted of or whether um but that would seem odd if the mother allowed, you know, this one last battle right. or the courts right. would allow contact or, with the victim. So, or maybe they just left and either he just left her the message one last, maybe yeah. the courts didn't allow it. Yeah. Necessarily. And, yes. So it was, so it was odd to, you know, the cleanup was okay. You know, one of us is babysitting the dad. One of us is babysitting the kid pack up all their gear, figure out how, you know, find llama panniers uh, and saddles <laughs> and things like that. And, yeah. Uh, like had you, had you to... ever saddled a llama before? We, we hadn't, and we didn't this time. We, uh, the fire cash agreed to a couple of flights. So we flew um, the, the, the guy that we took in custody. I think he went out first, got handed off to front country rangers that were stand, standing by to do the transport. And then we flew all of the gear out and most of our team. Uh, Boone had the presence of mind to immediately raise his hand and say, <laughs> I will take these llamas. I will walk back out and take these llamas uh, if I don't have to do any paperwork at all. On this <laughs> wow, I was that like, was smart. Darn it. I wish <laughs> right. I had thought of that. Why didn't I, why didn't I think of that? Now I got all the paperwork. I think of that, yes, because I got stuck right in the paperwork. Uh, the report on all this. And so we took a bunch of Boone's gear too, because, you know, it's a walk in the park, literally at that point. 
and uh while it was six or seven miles you know boone had worked as a backcountry ranger in that part of the park for years and years and years and so it was not a big deal for him to you know put a water right. bottle in the bdu pocket and bear spray <laughs> in the other and walk out uh, well hey let me ask you a question yeah. on the on the helicopter i mean yellowstone doesn't exactly have a police helicopter i mean was there how was it that they were okay with uh, transporting some fugitive uh, in their yeah, ship? Did, was that a problem? It did take some convincing. Um, there was policy on the books that allowed it, you know, procedures oh, okay. for how you do things. Um, the heli- the heli- helicopter manager, you know, was not super pleased with this kind of mission. Um and said repeatedly that if the pilot gets there and he thinks his ship's in danger, then he won't do it. And we got there and the pilot was like, he's just another passenger, right? I'm like, yeah, he's, you know, he's going to be handcuffed, belly chained, ankle chains, you know, any bad police drama that you've seen of some poor dude shuffling around all chained up. Right. That's what the guy was going to look like. Right. So his ability to impact the health, the safety of the crew or the aircraft is um pretty minimal and and this is something that we had that i had done half a dozen times at grand canyon transporting prisoners in park service helicopters Uh. and so you know you try not to be melodramatic or threatening because you know once you take somebody into custody you are responsible for them it's a a lot like adoption uh where you are responsible for them and need to take care of them right but you know you just have the conversation that anything that this person does that impacts the safety of the crew or the helicopter uh is going to be met with just overwhelming force to prevent that from happening uh and the six or seven people that i have transported in helicopters all looked out the windows and enjoyed the ride like they were on a commercial air tour Right. <laughs> Once in Grand Canyon, I had somebody that was in custody, like asking me to point out the names of the towers. We oh, well, why not? You know, that yeah, might, little you know, he's probably, moment. they get to see something <laughs> most visitors don't get to see is Grand Canyon yeah. from the air. So, yeah. yeah. And so, so anyway, the flight out that was uneventful. Um, we got everything put away. Most of the team dispersed uh, a couple hours later. Uh, Boone comes, uh, walking up the hill from the snake river you know dripping wet because at that point no need to keep your boots dry you just wade in um and the way he tells it those llamas were some of the worst pack animals he've ever he's ever <laughs> dealt with because they would not stay in line oh bump into him from the back um <laughs> and so he took to walking along scooping up a handful of gravel and just slowly throwing rocks little you know little pebbly rocks over his shoulder at the head of the lead llama just <laughs> constantly to keep that llama from you know giving him a neck hug and pushing him off the trail oh wow yeah i wonder how uh, how did he do crossing ford and the snake i uh, he said that was the easier part because he could ford he thought faster than they could so they were not impacting him <laughs> um he was sort of you know dragging them so that you know they were behind them and out of the way. So the the wrap up of the story. So now we have these llamas. The kid uh, went to 
uh, a child protective service, I think came up from Jackson, Wyoming and kept the kid till the mom could show up. And that was uneventful and an easy transition. The dad, uh, I think went to the, uh, probably the, uh, Teton County jail in Jackson, uh, Wyoming as well, and got transferred on and served his sentence. Uh, but these llamas end up living in our corral at the South entrance, which With freaks the horses. the horses out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're looking over at their new neighbors and not being completely <laughs> tolerant and accepting of differences. Oh. And, and, uh, so they're sort of like <laughs> staying away from each other. Right. Right. Uh, and we're like, I don't know what you feed llamas. And so we had to do some searching on that. And uh, Well, what do you feed llamas if you well, don't have llama food? Eat, they will eat almost anything. Mostly what they ate was just uh, uh, hay that we would feed our horses. I don't know whether that was a, a well-balanced llama diet, but they right. would also eat bark off the pine trees. If it flaked off and fell in the corrals, they would pick it up and they have little prehensile lips. So if you've ever seen like a, a hamster or a gerbil eating something like it's a typewriter going back and forth, like <laughs> nibble, 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 huh. nibble, 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 and they would huh. do that with they would do that with strips of pine bark. Wow! So maybe huh. that was an indication we weren't feeding them enough, right? Uh, but it was well, only how, a few wait, days. Yeah, they had plenty of water. <laughs> so how did you know where the llamas came from? Did so the... we we did ask the guy where he got them, and he gave us the name of this temple. And we looked up their phone number, and we called them, and they said they would be up as soon as they could. Hey, and special so, plug to the Harry Krishner yeah temple yeah, in Salt Lake very, if you want llamas. <laughs> yes, they and they were very responsive. So they we having worked with livestock, we expected a truck and a trailer, or you know some maybe a stock truck kind of thing. Well, what showed up was these two people in regular street clothes. Uh, their hairstyle was unique as it is. Um, but they were driving a 15-passenger a, a van that had an Enterprise rental sticker on the outside of it. Oh. And none of the back seats in it. They had taken all of the bench seats out of this 15-passenger van. And when we met them, we were like, so I thought you were here to pick up the llamas. And they're like, oh, we are. And they opened the back doors of that cargo van and walked up with a llama that towers, you know, like llamas aren't super tall, but the head of this llama was at least as tall as the top of the van. Oh, my gosh. You mean on the, on the ground? ground. Oh. Yeah, standing on the ground, head was even with the headliner or the roof of the van. And no sunroof, I guess. A beat, these llamas that had been terrible on the trail and pushed Boone around and, you know, just acted like they didn't know what their job was, walked in, knelt down, crawled forward, and laid down oh my in this 15 passenger van like they had done it a million times. Huh. And the folks just closed up the back doors and drove away. I wonder if they scoot up to the driver and spit every now and then. or Yeah, I don't know. Or they did that neck hug thing like they were doing. Right. Oh, but, it makes uh, me kind of it, want a llama. Well, it makes me not want to rent an, a van from Enterprise. Right. <laughs> what people do with them. Like, well, right. Know, yeah. I mean, do you think that was, uh, they just said, oh, I guess we got to go get our llamas. Let's go rent a van. Or do you think they, 
Okay. Cause they probably aren't the ones ever transport. What was the vehicle that um, the guy had um, who had absconded? What was his vehicle? I don't How know. did he get the llamas up there? Yeah. I, I, we, we never looked into it and you know, it was summertime and it was interesting and we moved on and, you know, only roll this, you know, only ever think about this story when it's, you know, some funny backcountry apprehension comes up. <laughs> well, this is definitely a story that I bet nobody thinks would ever happen in a national park. That's for sure. And I'll bet you if you're wanted uh, for a crime, especially child molestation, that's the last place you think somebody's going to come and uh, handcuff you and fly you out and take you to jail. Yeah, that that seemed to be a big surprise to this guy. Yeah. Well, that was an awesome story, Matt. Thanks. What else do you have for us today? <laughs> well, so this, my next story is about you and I. And <laughs> so this is more of a story that I enjoy hearing Tara Ross tell than I uh, enjoyed <laughs> me telling. But uh, we worked together uh, in Yellowstone in the Snake River District. Um, I was working at the South Entrance and you were stationed at Grant. Um, and in the middle of our district is Lewis Lake, uh, which is a fairly large lake on the west side of the South Entrance Road. Anybody who's visited Yellowstone uh, from the Jackson side has driven along Lewis Lake for uh, four or five minutes as they drive up into the park. and. Uh, it is lined up very well with the set predominantly southwest winds and has a fair amount of boating traffic and thus a fair amount of boaters in distress calls. On this particular day, I feel like it was fall because uh, it was chilly and we got a call of uh, overturned kayaks on the north part of the lake. And one thing that uh, your listeners and others should know about park rangers is we all <laughs> want to do the fun thing. You know, if you're going right. to go on a boat right. rescue, you want to drive the boat. You're well, going to go. Okay, but but Matt, back up just one second. Yeah. I, and you're going to say the same thing exactly that I would have said. But to back up, besides the prevailing winds, that mm -hmm. lake is a dangerous lake. And oh, yes. it's incredibly cold temperatures and if you uh you talk about boating rescues if there are uh incidents where people go in the lake then uh it's it's they need to get out quickly or they'll die of hypothermia yes yeah the the, the challenge with those high altitude lakes is they are so cold that even in a life jacket uh hypothermia could kill you um very very quickly and yeah, within... because they're big they get big waves that develop on them you know five six foot swells mm -hmm. you know that when they hit the north shore you know it's like being on the ocean with right the big wave crashing on the beaches and unfortunately people that are crossing it in a canoe are on the either beginning or end of a very long canoe journey and have a tendency to want to take the shortest route, which is across the midpoint of the lake. Yeah, which um, we never recommend. We always tell no. them stay along the shoreline. Yes. And, and it is, it is slower and you paddle farther, but it's much safer 
to follow the shorelines of those those lakes uh because when it, the waves come up they come up suddenly because you're in the mountains and can't see uh storm systems developing and approaching you yeah and on on this day i remember um there were 40 mile an hour winds that just came up and when we get those 40 mile an hour winds the lodgepole pine trees are falling and people are having to clear tra- uh, clear the trees off the road etc so it was a bad bad uh, sudden windstorm that came up yeah and so we get the call that there uh is a boat overturned and Tara responds down from Grant and I respond up from the south entrance and it's equal uh, distance equal, equal distance, distance. <laughs> between the two of us uh <laughs> so go ahead and so uh I am lucky and come skidding into the parking lot ahead of Tara. So I get, Oh, but, but I was thinking the whole way down and I bet you were thinking this too. I have got to beat Matt to the boat. Oh yes. (laughs) (laughs) To see who was going to get to the boat first and be able to claim the driver's seat. Uh, Right. And I saw you pulling in to Lewis Lake campground and Marina. uh, Because I don't know if you, knew this but there was a tree down right in front of me just before i got to the campground and there were all of these people in big trucks you know my light my lights are going you know i didn't have a siren going but my lights are going and they're like oh all these dudes got out and tried to push the tree across and then i see you right in front of me with your lights going pulling into the campground and i was yeah "Ah, curses shucks and (laughs) so the boat and this is where we uh have to apologize to rangers past and future for the quality of equipment uh in some of the natural <laughs> parts but the boat we were getting into was a late 60s early 70s glassmaster uh open bow sport boat like a boat that dad would buy to take the kids water skiing on the lake one or two weekends a year right 20, yeah 30 years before this story happened <laughs> <laughs> that's right and it was always it was pristinely kept the lewis lake ranger larry newell uh was a very attention to detail guy and he took really good care of it but that did not change the fact that this was a really old boat right and i had even though i had done plenty of patrols on that lake in that boat I had never been in water with such big waves on that lake in that boat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yellowstone Lake's another story. We had a 25-foot Bertram at the time that I was doing uh, Lake Patrol on Yellowstone, Um, but not this boat. Yes, this, and it was pretty tiny, I think, 16, 17 feet long. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And so... We get in the boat and we leave and, you know, we're trying, someone's, they're trying to get information for us and where we should start looking. And of course, when you leave the dock, the the dock at Lewis Lake is located in the southern shore of the lake, southeastern shore. So as we went away, the waves are, the wind is at our backs. So the boating is not as dangerous as it could be because we're running sort of with the wind. Um down the lake um i can't remember how many search patterns we did but i know that going when we had to do our turn at the north shore we had to truly time the turn between the waves Mm -hmm. so that 
you know, the wave would break over and you would start sort of slipping back on the wave and make a hard turn so you could get all the way around before the next wave crested. Because if you ended up in the trough sideways, those waves could have rolled us over easily. Yeah. And let me just say, I had not one thing to hold on to. You had the steering wheel. There wasn't a rail. There wasn't uh, a clip. There wasn't anything for me to hold on to. And uh, I I had some concern. (laughs) Yes. Well, except for the windshield on your side of the boat, because it had uh, that funky little almost decorative windshield on it. But it was barely hanging on. Well, that's the piece. (laughs) that's the piece that I remember. I remember one point going through a particularly hard hit on a wave and turning around and you were holding the windshield in your hands, (laughs) turned sideways in the boat, just looking at me. And I was like, I guess just set it down. (laughs) And we set it on the floor of the boat and it didn't break. (laughs) Well, uh, and I had enough concern that I'm like, I'm going, I'm, I'm getting, I'm going to go out of this boat. I'm going to be tossed out of this boat. So the, my duty gear around my waist, I unbuckled because yeah. we had these little keepers from our inner belt to our duty gear. And I unbuckled the keepers. Cause I'm like, if I'm going in, this is the first thing I'm dropping. And so yeah. I really did do that. I really did think we were going in or at least that well, I was. And, yeah. And that was one of the, 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 the challenges of working in those environments is that, you know, we were expected to be, every bit as equipped and prepared as any police officer in the country. You know, there was a, a standard right. for law enforcement equipment and, uh, you know, and you were, you know, you were remiss, you were out of policy if you wore less than the full complement. but then you're out in a boat and, you know, the, you know, we always joked that it was, you know, easy to maintain my weight because every morning I would gain 30 pounds. Right. Every evening, I would lose 30 pounds. Right, right. Everybody with, has with, weighed themselves with all their duty gear on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with boots and a full mm-hmm. duty belt and mm-hmm. a ballistic vest. Um, you know, you're just heavy. And so, yeah, the prudent call would be, yeah, all that goes to the bottom of Lewis Lake <laughs> as soon as right. possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we searched and searched. And I think, I don't remember either the report was false or the people self-rescued, but you know, it's one of the stories that sort of withers because other than the, the, you know, the fun slash terror of being out on this big lake in big waves in a tiny boat that was falling apart, um, you know, with, you know, somebody that you loved working with and had a ton of respect for, it was, you know, a lot of fun, but I, I don't remember us finding anybody. No, they did self-rescue. We we did hear back that they had made it to the um, west shore on their okay. own. But uh, I'm going to back up just a bit. When we okay. were on those waves, uh, and when you're talking about you know trying to make the turn and the crest of the waves, so there was all this big spray going on. But anyway. Uh, I was so concerned I was going in. Like I said, I, I was getting prepared to go in and I kept looking at you while you're driving to see if I could see any concern on your face. Cause I'm like, well, if he's not scared, maybe I'm not scared. So I kept, <laughs> kept glancing over at you. But what struck me when I would glance over at you was your hair was fantastic. <laughs> and 
like his hair. So uh, Matt, we all love Matt, and Matt has a very you know uh, normal hairstyle and not yeah, not a beaver, loosey- very beaver cleaver kind of. Yeah, not not loosey goosey. And the spray of the water and the wind, you had the best hairstyle. And all I could think of was your hair is fantastic. And uh, so, and I look like Medusa. I had, not that that matters, you know, maybe that's a vanity thing, not a vanity, not at the time while I was worried about my life, I wasn't concerned about my hair, but anyway, I got, we got back to the doc eventually, and you're probably going to tell something that's part of the story that goes in between there. But I did, when we got back to the doc, uh, there was a ranger there named Liz and I said, check out his hair. And she goes, oh my gosh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and so, so I said, well, I, I'm going to tell you what I, what I, Right. I'll talk about what I said at the very end. We can finish the story um, before you left, but go ahead. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> for me, there's not a lot left when we get back to the dock and, you know, the people are okay. And Oh, you know, you know we thought we ran out of gas. Remember that point? Oh, right, right. Yeah, there was that <laughs> thing where it had two tanks that we didn't know we had two tanks. And, uh, yeah, another ranger either had the radio to us or tell us that right. and I was like, like this time we're in the middle boat. of this lake yeah yeah and the yeah. way you down just a little bit yep and that this funky little boat that shouldn't have been a police car was had two <laughs> fuel tanks in it it was just shocking to me yeah and matt throws out the anchor you know pretty quickly and there we sit in the middle of this lake two rangers yeah. out of gas didn't find our we didn't we didn't get to make our rescue uh, but did, thought we were going to die in the middle of it. But uh, but yeah, we did when we get back to the dock. And uh, I will say before you took off, I said, don't touch your hair because I know that you were going to go. You were going to go see Karen, your lovely wife. Right. Uh, and that's where you were headed. And uh-huh. I said, don't touch your hair. And I see you get in the car. And the first thing you do is put on the, one of those beanie hats. And ah. <laughs> Anyway, well, that was fun. But that was fun yeah, story. I thought it was fun because it was one of those things where you're you had the right partner, the you know the, we were able to make up for the equipment for the most part. Uh, <laughs> Speak for lived, yourself. Is, we lived, which is always a good ending to a, a ranger rescue story. Right. Yeah. Right. But I will say, I've been on I've been on the North Shore of Lewis Lake, and I know you have too, um, where people were washed ashore CPR one time, uh, everybody, another time there was enough people, there were enough people that were hypothermic that we had to hug, uh, snuggle until we could get warm IV fluids, you know, headed our way, uh, you know, the body heat thing with people who were literally hypothermic. And so that is a very dangerous lake, but yes, we lived and that was a wonderful story. (laughs) One of my favorite stories, definitely one of my favorite Matt Benzera stories. Yeah, yeah, it's super fun. Well, uh, that's all for Ranger Tales today. And Matt has assured me he will be back with more stories. So thank you, Matt. Oh, you're very welcome, Tara. It's good to uh, good to catch up with you and a, a great way to uh, remember fun times and funny times. And uh, the stuff out, you just can't make up. Yep, out in the parks. <laughs>